pray. Lord, uh, tonight we thank you so much, God, for the opportunity, again, to gather together as your people, to come and to open up your word and, and study it together. And, and Lord, I thank you once again that things got recorded for us. And God, we can read and uh, look at the life of, of uh, Nehemiah and the people around him. And, and Lord, I pray that it would be an encouragement in our own walk with you that we could glean good things from him and, and look at things and apply those to our lives. And, and Lord, that again, it would impact us. It wouldn't just be, oh, we're reading a Bible study, we're going through it and, and uh, yeah, that's some good stuff and then just leave here and nothing, nothing's happened to our inner man. So bless this time, I pray, and have your way with us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, as we get ready to begin here, Nehemiah is going to be our last study in the Old Testament. I look today, 11 years ago, we started Genesis. And so, you know, it's been pretty fast, kind of. So, so anyway, uh, so Nehemiah is going to be our last study. And I think, it's a, I think it's very fitting. I get excited. I was, as we were worshiping, I was thinking about Nehemiah and remember, Remember, he's right now, as we're going to start out, in captivity. And yet, he was one of the ones who did well in captivity. And it's interesting when we look at that whole idea. Remember, not all of the Jews, when they were released, went back to Israel. A lot of them stayed because they had good positions. They had good places. Daniel didn't go back. Ezra didn't go back for a while, and Nehemiah didn't go back for a long time, and he had this great place. Listen, Nehemiah had a great position, and here's what I love about him. He didn't allow his position to influence his relationship with the Lord. He didn't allow that, that idea that he was surrounded by royalty and part of that and, and intricate in that change how he depended on his God, and I love that, man. I, you know, Nehemiah is one of my all-time heroes in the Bible as we read about him and look, about, look at his life. Now, one thing is, see, this guy had a ton of zeal going on. He was zealous for God. And uh, I wrote down uh, J.I. Packer, who's one of my other heroes that's still alive, he wrote this about zeal. He said, it is not fanaticism, it's not wildness, it's not irresponsible enthusiasm, it's not any form of pushy egotism, it is rather a humble, reverent, business-like, single-minded commitment to the honoring of God's name and doing his will. That's a, great, that's a great definition for biblical zeal and what's going on. So we look at this guy, and as I said, it's been 150 years since Israel went into captivity. And so they went back after 70. So more than likely, he was born into captivity. I think we should understand that. And, and Maybe that's all the life he knew. So maybe that's why he wasn't so excited about going back. But here's a guy who, again, was determined to serve the Lord and determined to know the Lord in spite of the hardships. As we started tonight, Pastor Rob brought up, you know, we you were all coming from different places. Some of us are coming from, you know, difficult things in our life. Maybe we got bad news today or yesterday or day before and different things are happening. But listen, we still, in the midst of that, need to trust God. 
Here's the thing, no matter what our circumstances, God has not changed. I got a text uh, this week from somebody who uh, used to attend here and, and they were asking me, they're a counselor, and they were asking me, well, how do I tell a person that's coming that is facing a difficult situation? I don't wanna go into all the details, but you know, how do I answer them about that age-old question, why do bad things happen to good people? Or why does God allow that? Or how can God allow that? And you know, my pat answer, because that's the only answers I have, are from Pat. It's this, when we're in those situations, there's really no answers, except I think this one. When we're in a difficult time like that, we have to go with what we know about God and not what we don't know. And we have to trust that. And if we focus on that, it's not going to take, take the situation and make it disappear but it's gonna give us strength in the midst of that situation. And that's Nehemiah. Listen, even though he's there and he has a good position, overall, it's not a good thing. And so he's gotta focus on, and that's what I love about this first chapter. Man, this man is so focused on God that there is nothing that's gonna disrupt that. So starting out here in verse one, it says, the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah, and it, it came to pass in the month of, Ch of Chislev, in the 20th year, as I was in Chushan, or Susa, the citadel. So listen, a little bit of background. It's been 13 years since Ezra and the crew have gone back and started what they were doing. And Ezra's had his, his little tiff with the people who were uh, married to uh, uh, the, I was gonna say unbelievers, but who were not Israelites and all of that's going on. So it's been a while. And you have to think about, man, Nehemiah stayed back there. He know, I, think he, I think he had relationships somewhat with Ezra. He knew Zerubbabel, remember Zerubbabel and crew were the first ones to go back. Then Ezra went back with the crew. And now Nehemiah in the 20th year, something stirring within him. And again, 13 years after all of that, so it's been a while. And then it says in that time that Hanani, verse two, one of my brethren came with men from Judah and I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped and who had survived the captivity and concerning Jerusalem. So this guy shows up now. I could be wrong, but I kind of think it's one of these situations. I think Hanani and these guys showed up and I think Nehemiah cared, but I think also it was like, hey, how you guys doing? And then they dumped a load on him. You know, sometimes when people are asking how you doing, they really don't want to know. And you dump a load on them, and they're going, I, I, I was just being polite. That's all I was doing. And yet, it seems like he did care about those in captivity, but nonetheless, How's everything going for you guys? And these are guys who had gone back with Ezra and now they're back in Babylon or back in Susa here. And he's saying, hey, what's it like? And maybe some of it's out of curiosity. How are things going there? And they told him, they said to me in verse three, and they said to me, the survivors who are left from the captivity in the province are there in great distress and reproach. So before we read on, a couple things, man. Listen, the people who are there, they're not settled that this was a good thing. Sometimes when we're following God, it's difficult and it gets hard. And sometimes it gets 
harder the more involved we get and it becomes more difficult and we have to ask ourselves am I in this because I want to be in this and I'm going to do the long haul or I'm am I in this because I thought it was going to be fun and glorious and all that I love talking to young guys or or let's say not even young but new guys and especially starting churches or starting in the in the pastoral ministry and they're always kind of to me wide-eyed and you know thinking it's all going to be wonderful and when you deal with hurting people here's what happens I, I I ripped this off from somebody but he said hurt people hurt people that's a good way to put it, huh? And so we're all flesh. We're all doing life together. And sometimes it gets really difficult. And these guys thought, if I could go back to Jerusalem, it'll be awesome. If I, if I can just get back there. And they got back there. Now they're in distress and reproach because it's not going well. Things aren't coming together the way they thought they were going to come together. It's not all fun and games. It's not, it's not this thing like, yes. And so they're, now letting Nehemiah know, it's not good. Home is not what home used to be. And again, most of them probably were, were born in captivity. Maybe most of them hadn't been back, but they're there. And it's not good. And not only that, listen, he says, the wall of Jerusalem is also broken down and its gates are burned with fire. Now, I don't think this is when Babylon came in and destroyed it. I think, remember, in Ezra, those of us who have been with this study for a while, it's been a while since we were in Ezra, but remember in Ezra chapter 4, they were going along and they were building stuff, and then everything stopped. And this king now, who is over Nehemiah, stopped everything. And everybody stopped. Now imagine you're cooking along, you're starting to build the wall, you're, yes, we're back here, and then all of a sudden, Hurt. and now they're in distress, they're discouraged, they're bummed. And that's when ministry is the least fun. Listen, I, I don't mind sometimes dealing with hurting people over issues in life, but it's tough when people get discouraged and they're walking and they think God isn't fair and nothing's going right and you're trying to deal with that. That's hard to try and carry those people through that and walk with them through that. And they're telling Ezra, man, or I'm sorry, they're telling Nehemiah, it's not good and Ezra's there, I believe he's still there. And it's not good, the people are hurting and uh, the gates aren't even up. Listen, here's what he's saying. They have no defenses. I guess in light of that, how's your wall doing in your Christian life? Not a wall of division, but a wall of protection. How's that doing? Is it kind of in shambles? Are the gates all burned up? Is the enemy flowing in and working on you? Because it's something to think about because, hey, I believe, again, according to Ephesians, we should, we should be ready for that battle and armed and our, our wall should be built up and we shouldn't, we shouldn't be so defenseless that we become discouraged and disgruntled and tired of this relationship. I have found over the years walking with God is difficult because it's walking by faith and you gotta trust him even when it doesn't seem fair and right and good. So that's what's going on. Now, again, I'm not sure that Nehemiah wanted all that information. 
I'm not sure if he was just saying, hey, how's it going? Glad you guys are back. And they dumped that on him, but it affected him. And here's the good thing. That's why you got to like this guy. It affected him. And listen to this first part here as it begins in, in, in verse four. So it was when I heard these words that I sat down and I wept and I mourned for many days. You see, for a Jew, the position for that time of mourning is sitting. So it's not like he sat down to take a break. It's like this is a position he assumed because he's mourning for his people. I believe, listen, I believe from this, here's what we need to understand. Nehemiah had a special calling on his life. He had a calling from the Lord. And when you have that calling from the Lord and you know that the Lord has placed you in a position, in a place, hey, you can, you can then be free to do the ministry you're called to do. And here's what I love. His ministry starts with empathy. He cares about the people. He relates to the people. Hey, technically, I mean, bottom, bottom line, this is a guy that had a really good, he had a great position. We're gonna read he was the cupbearer. And when it says cupbearer, listen, I don't think it was so much still in that, that, that realm of duties of just drinking the wine and tasting the food before. I think also he was an advisor to the king. He was close to the king, one of the closest to that man in power. And so you gotta think about it. He had all of that going on. Yet when he hears about his people, it just makes him stop and empathize. Listen again, he's weeping and mourning because of what's happening, obviously, to, to, the, uh, to the city. But he's also thinking about those people. Those people are so discouraged, so beat up, so downtrodden. And Nehemiah cares about that. That's when you can tell somebody's really called. I love the idea that he doesn't just shine it, doesn't just ignore it, but he stops and he takes time and he absorbs it into his life. I wrote down some things about somebody who's feeling, you know, this whole idea of, of being called into something like Nehemiah is called. First of all, I think there's the biblical factor of you look at your Bible and you see if what you're feeling and you're drawing toward is something that's biblical. And obviously his was to care about these people and to be involved with them. And then I love the next part. The next part is the spirit witnessing to your spirit. And the spirit, he allows you and he works in you and he confirms that thing. And then there's the whole idea to me of the body confirming it. You know, sometimes we get emotional about things and want to go in a direction and it's not really what God wants for us. And we may even have a biblical thing. Our spirit may be even designed, de, 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 uh, it draws us towards that. But then there's this whole idea of the body. And again, not that we control one another, but I think we need one another. Hey, what do you think about this? I know in my own life, I remember when people, a few people started telling me, we really feel you're called to be a teacher. And, and I've talked about that. I was a horrible student, so I'm not sure how I could be called to be a teacher. And, uh, you know, just talking with people and then getting that confirmed over and over. And that's important that the body confirms that. And then I think the last thing is there's an opportunity to do what you feel called to do. And it's in front of you. And that's Nehemiah. You gotta love this. So here's what he did. He sat down, he wept, and he mourned for many days. And then I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. 
Here's an interesting thing to pay attention to if you're reading through the Bible this year is especially once we get into once we get into kings and chronicles and stuff usually it's the god of israel or the god of judah here's a fun thing to notice i guess i'll give it away is when you read ezra daniel and nehemiah here's what they say the god of heaven why do they not use that other term because Jerusalem's been destroyed. Because no longer is the temple there. No longer is that God's place. And now he's the God of heaven. That's kind of an interesting thing how that dynamic shifts. And I challenge you to read that. I challenge you to look at that. And he's not calling out to the God of Israel or the God of Judah or the God of Jerusalem. It's the God of heaven. And so now, now we're going to go through the prayer. And I love this guy's prayer. You know, a lot of people talk about, well, you know, prayer needs to happen in this stage, this stage, this stage. And we lay all of these things out. And I remember as a new Christian, people would tell me that. And I, I'm like, I'm scattered. I think I might have ADD. I don't know. I don't know what that is, but I might have it. I might have DDD too. I think I have a lot of things. Here's what I know, man. It's hard for me to stay focused. And, you know, and I know I got a lot of swats in school, and I got a lot of pointers. Any of you remember the pointers with the black tip? I got those broken over my knee a few times. And so, yeah, we had mean teachers in Bisbee. So, so maybe I have all of that stuff, but, but you know, it's, it's interesting when we think about focusing and looking at things. And here you have Nehemiah, and he's got this heart to pray and I don't believe he followed a formula. I think it's dangerous when we try and formula, formulize different things about God, how this is supposed to take place, how that's supposed to take place. And so when people told me, here's a formula for prayer, I would try and do it, and it doesn't fit me. I, I just don't function that way. And then here's the thing. I would think, well, I'm not very spiritual, because obviously they're doing that and they're spiritual. I look up to them and I can't do that. So I must be a real dweeb. You know, Jesus might look at me and go, you poor, poor, poor thing. <laughs> so I think we have to be careful when we lay that out. And, you know, it's interesting how some people outlined his whole prayer. Trust me, I don't think Nehemiah, when he was in this position for real, for life, I don't think he's thinking about an outline. I don't think he's thinking about anything. What does it say this came out of? From a time of mourning and weeping and fasting. And when you fast, you get the heart of God. Remember, we want to, I want to emphasize, fasting is not to change God's mind. Fasting is to change your heart. If you're fasting to get God to do something, just call it what it is. That's a hunger strike. And just tell him you're not going to eat till he does this and, and be honest with it. Fasting's supposed to change you. So listen, he's doing that. And so here's his prayer, verse 5, and it starts out. And it says, I said, I pray, Lord God of heaven. There's that term again. O great and awesome God, you who keep your covenant and mercy with those who love you and observe your commandments. So, so look at how he's starting. And I do think there is something about that. I do believe we need to start recognizing when, we, when we're going to the Lord, we need to recognize his characteristics, who he is. 
As I said before, listen, you might be in a bad circumstance and, and Nehemiah got just horrible news right now and he's not saying, oh God, you who forget everything and don't care and you move to the other side. What does he say, man? You're the God who has everything in, under control. Here's what he's recognizing is God is in control in spite of what things look like. And we might even think in our world, our time, things are crazy. I mean, you know, I've, I've got to where I want to tell people, do not look at any news anywhere. You know, don't look at the news. Don't even look at it on your phone. Don't look at it. Because all it does is discourage you. And our world is messed up. So listen, I don't, think, I don't think we need to be ignorant to those things. But I also, don't let them run your life. And I love, he gets this really bad news. And what he says is God is great. God is awesome. God is faithful, right? God is merciful. And God is a God of love. That's what he says when he opens up. In spite of, now what is he looking at? He's looking at people who are distraught. People who are discouraged, people who are being reproached, a wall that has not been built that was supposed to be built. He's looking at all of that, and here's, here's what he says, God, you're an awesome God. You're a faithful God. You're a merciful God. You're a loving God, right? Do you ever, do, do you open up like that? I mean, hey, you don't have to have his words. You can just, and, and that is him pouring out his heart and then he says verse 6 I love this please let your ear be attentive do you ever ask God Lord would you really pay attention right now would you really listen to me listen and, and I love because what he's about to pray listen he's not about to ask God for something he just wants God to hear his heart and I think it's excellent when we come before the Lord and we said Lord just listen to me that's all I want you to do. Hear what I have to say. And he says, listen, please let your ear be attentive and your eyes open that you may hear the prayer of your servant, which I pray before you now, day and night, for the children of Israel, your servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against you, both my father's house and I have sinned. Don't you love that? When was the last time you asked God to really pay attention so you could tell him you were a sinner. Usually when we come to God confessing our sin, we're hoping that he's taking a nap. <laughs> we're hoping that he's really not listening. I love this, man. Here's what he's saying. God, I really want you to hear right now. I really want you to be involved in this. And then the most important part to me is he takes part of the sin of the people. He's not in Jerusalem. He's sitting in a really good position in Susa, in Babylon. And yet he says, we have sinned. Me and my father's house. We're involved in this. And saints, we need to know that in our lives. We're involved in that. We're part of that. And we need to, you know, I, I believe that the church would be a little bit more open and honest in this area. I believe we would be a little bit more powerful. And I believe we would be a lot more effective in the world than when we sit in our high towers and act like everybody else is horrible and we're really holy and pure. God, hear me, hear me, listen to me. I really need your attention right now. We have sinned against you.
That's what we've done. And then he goes on and he says, verse seven, we have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, uh, the statutes, nor the ordinances which you commanded your servant Moses. So bottom line, listen, bottom line, even though they were put into captivity and then they were let out of captivity by the hand of God that Jeremiah prophesied was gonna happen and it came to pass and some of them have gone back and some of them haven't and, and et cetera. Here's the thing, he still knows we're not keeping the commandments. We're not keeping those ordinances. And from what I gather, the way he's praying is, and we're not even trying real hard. That's where we're at as a, Listen, and here's what he's saying. That's where we're at as a nation. I guess I would challenge us, is that where we're at as a church? You see, because I don't believe Nehemiah himself was that involved in not keeping commandments and ordinances. Because I don't believe he would have ever started the prayer the way he started it if he did not have an intimate relationship with the Lord. I kind of believe this. And Daniel, remember when they challenged Daniel about prayer and Daniel had that special place where he went and prayed every day and the guys knew it and they turned him in and yada, yada, yada. I don't want to get into a whole thing on Daniel or we'll be here till midnight. Because I love that idea of Daniel and everything he does. But, but listen, I kind of think Nehemiah had that same place. Because trust me, you don't, you don't sit down and weep and mourn and fast unless you have that special place where, where you're meeting with the Lord. And hey, it doesn't have to be a closet. It doesn't have to, it's whatever works for you. I was, I was reading someone today and they said, you know, again, they kind of got put in a mold and you have to pray this way and you have to do it this way and you have to get up at, you know, 4 a.m. if you're really holy and pray for people and you gotta let everybody know you're up at 4 a.m. praying for them. And you kind of do that thing. And this guy said, man, that just was not him. And he goes, the only way I can pray is walking. And so he found a nice path to walk on and he would walk and pray. Now, I can't walk and pray because I get distracted. I start looking at things around me and then pretty soon I'm not even talking to God anymore. I'm thinking about what I'm looking at. So, hey, we're all different, right? So, but Nehemiah had to have whatever it was, that place where he could get alone with God and he's recognizing the sin and he's recognizing, listen, we don't do that. He's saying, we are not doing this. I don't think he's necessarily saying he broke all of these things, but here's what he's saying collectively as Israel, we're not doing these things. Saints, I think if, as the church, if we would recognize as a church of Jesus Christ, the representatives of Jesus on this planet, if we would say, Lord, we are not doing that, instead of even really, even pointing our finger at this or that or, you know, whatever, I have people telling me I don't like this work, I don't like what this group is doing, I don't like what that group is doing, and, you know, and, hey, fine. Then get on your knees and let the Lord know. And I love that about Nehemiah. And again, I think the church would be radically transformed if we talked more to God than we do each other. Because he's the only one that's gonna change hearts. And so, man, you gotta love it, right? He's in that, and then, here's what I love, man. I always love it when you're reading the prayers in the Bible and they call God out on his word. 
I love that. It's like, Lord, listen to what he says. Look at, look at verse eight. I kind of, Lord, remember, I pray the word that you commanded. Here's what he's saying. I hope you remember what you told Moses because I do, because I just read it, maybe he's thinking. Remember, I pray the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. Listen, he could be quoting Leviticus 26 or someplace in Leviticus, maybe even Deuteronomy, I'm gonna put up in a moment. But here's what he's saying. Lord, remember, remember your word. Here's what you said. If we're unfaithful, you're gonna scatter us. Now, again, I wanna call attention. God didn't say, if you're unfaithful, I'm gonna forget you. Here's what he says. If you're unfaithful, I'm kicking you out of my land and I'm gonna scatter you. That's important. He never, Israel never, ever, ever, ever has quit being God's people, ever. Even when they were in Babylon, they were still his. Even when they're scattered all over after 70 AD, they're still his. Even today, the nation of Israel definitely is not a godly nation, but they're still his. And we need to understand that. And listen, here's what he's saying. I know you said according to your word that if we're unfaithful, you're gonna kick us out of the land. Now, most of us don't ever like to claim promises of God that are negative towards us, right? You guys ever, you guys ever sit in prayer and go, Lord, I know your word says that I am going to reap what I sow. Thank you, God. Thank you for giving me your word. We don't do that stuff, do we? We don't claim those promises. But they're promises. And he's saying, listen, Lord, remember your word now. He's not done. He says, but, verse nine, but if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though some of you were cast out to the farthest parts of the heaven, yet I will gather them from there and bring them to the place which I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. Listen, I think, he, I think in here, you can read the whole book of Deuteronomy if you want tonight, or you can read chapter nine, chapter 28, and chapter 30, and kind of look at, listen, here's what God says. If you do this, I'm gonna scatter you, but I'm gonna bring you back. I'm not gonna leave you out there. You may be there for a while. It may be painful for a while. Hey, any of you feel like maybe you're a little bit scattered right now? God is doing something? Well, maybe it's a good time to get on your face and talk to him. Maybe it's a good time to get on your face and say, Lord, pay really close attention to what I'm about to tell you right now. Because here's what I want you to know. I'm in sin. I'm in sin and I want you to hear that. I want you to hear me say what's going on in my life. He's not gonna be shocked, trust me. You tell God you're in sin, he's not gonna like fall, you know, and like, wow. He already knows. I love, I was trying to think of just now, it popped in my mind. There's a book on prayer and I don't even remember the title of it. But it's a book on prayer. It's a great book on prayer. <laughs> you should get it. Man, I'm really trying, I'm stalling here, saying, come on, hard drive. <laughs> How do you pray to a God who knows everything? Wow, it came. So listen, man, it's a great book on prayer because here's what, here's what he lays out. He goes, hey, what is there you can't tell God who knows everything? And so, 
you got to love this about Nehemiah. He's saying, God, here's your promise. Your promise is, if we do this, there's going to be consequences. But even in the midst of those consequences, you haven't forgotten us, you haven't deserted us, and you haven't given up on us. And you promised to bring us back. Saints, listen to that. Even when you do that, yes, you've done it, and there's consequences. But God hasn't forgotten you. God hasn't stopped loving you. God hasn't stopped caring about you. You just need to draw near to him. And you need to trust him. And maybe get in that place where you can get on your face and you can say, hey God, you are an awesome God. You're a holy God. You're a faithful God. You're a merciful God and you're a loving God. So I'm not afraid to talk to you. I'm not afraid to tell you the things that I've done and the things that I'm even thinking about doing. You know how freeing that is? So listen, man, you gotta love him. And, and you know, would that the whole church, would that we could get the whole church to, to hear that. And then he says, verse 10, now he's finally, listen, all of that was finally, and, and here's what I love about prayers in the Bible. They're usually really lengthy about things of God and about confessing sin and kind of getting into that. And then the supplication part, the part where they're asking for God for things, it's like this big. And for us, if we're really honest, if we're, if we're gut check honest, our honoring God and glorifying God and confessing sin is about this big. And our list of asking him things is like this big. And we need to kind of reverse that and think about what's going on. So, so here's what he says now, verse 10. Now, these are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and your strong hand. Don't you love this? Hey, I just talked to Hannah and I. And these are your people. They're not my people. I got enough taking care of the king. Your people. Lord, these are the people. And listen what he says. And you redeemed them. When was the last time you prayed for the church of Jesus Christ that he has redeemed with his blood and asked God to have mercy on the church at large? A little convicting, huh? It's really convicting me right now. Convicted me all week when I studied this. We need to be doing that. Hey, if we're serious about what's going on, and again, he says, man, I love this, man. These are your servants, your people, and you've redeemed them by your great power. Oh, Lord, verse 11, as he's wrapping this up, oh, Lord, I pray, please let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant. Again, pay real attention here, God, and to the prayer of your servants who desire to fear your name and let your servant prosper this day. Here's what he's saying. God, pay really close attention because today I want to prosper. He's not asking, listen, he's very prosperous. I think this guy was, I think this guy's really wealthy. I think he's doing good. So he's not praying about material things. He's not asking God to give him a better position. He was in a pretty high position. The only next position up was, you know, kicking a king out and being king. That's surely not what he's asking. What is he asking? I want to prosper spiritually. Here's what he's saying. I know what's going on in Jerusalem because these guys just told me, and that's not good. And now all of a sudden, I'm feeling called maybe to go take care of that. That's a scary thought, huh? Get out of your comfort zone. Get up and go do something, right? So he says, hey, pray that I can prosper 
And he says, he says uh, uh, and let your servant prosper this day. At the end of verse 11, I pray and grant him mercy in the sight of this man, for I was the cup's king bearer. So all of that is to say this, I have to go talk to the king. Here's what I love. Nehemiah had a greater fear of God than he did of the king. That's important. You see, because then, if you fear God, man doesn't freak you out quite as much. I'm not gonna say you don't get freaked out because you're still nervous, your palms sweat. Do you guys get sweaty palms? I get really bad sweaty hands when I'm nervous. I hate it when I'm speaking someplace and I'm nervous, I put my hand on my Bible and then it's like, (laughs) trying to get it off. Right now, they just start sweating really crazy. So, boom. So listen what he's saying, though. He's saying, God, I have to go to, why is he freaked out about going to the king? Let's think about this. Why is he freaked out? Because this is a king who stopped everything. And now Nehemiah is going to go and he's going to say, Artie baby. His name's Artaxerxes. I think he called him Artie baby. (laughs) They were close. Hey, Art do you think we could kind of change that decree you made? Because it was kind of hard on my people. And not only this, because I did read ahead. Not only this, he's going to ask him to change his decree. He's going to ask him to give him stuff to take because you've got to have stuff to build with, right? He's going to ask him for permission to get stuff from other people in the area. And then greater than that, here's what he's going to ask him. And I want to be in charge. That's intense, isn't it? So now you know why he's praying. Now here's what I love. He doesn't have to tell God all of the, you know what, God doesn't always need all the details that we want to give him. It's simple enough to say this, Lord, let me prosper today. And give me favor in the sight of this person I'm going to talk to. He doesn't need all the details. Sometimes we go on and on and on, and frankly, I think God's gone seriously. Like, just wrap this thing up. He knows the details. So saints, you gotta love Nehemiah, and here's what he's saying. I wanna leave all that I have. And I wanna go to Jerusalem. Now listen, I, I know not everybody's called to leave and to go and etc. Because that's kind of foolish to think that. And if there weren't senders, there couldn't be goers. And I think that's important. But here's the thing. Are you willing to do what God has called you to do? Because I think there should be a bit of a degree, not, not, I'm not saying a whole bunch, but there should be a little bit of a degree of uncomfortableness because here's what you gotta do. It's gotta be a step of faith. And you gotta do that step of faith to, I think, be where God wants you to be. And it might be, listen, it could be a very, all kinds of different things, but you gotta step out. And saints, I think we need to be a whole bunch more Nehemiahs that are willing to step out. Lord, if you want me to do this, I'll do it. It might be as simple as tonight when we're leaving, putting your arm around somebody and saying, hey, 
man, I'm there for you. I want you to know. It might be as simple as going home tonight, getting on your face and telling God that we as the Christian community in the world, we're not doing too well. Well, and we shouldn't speak for the world in the United States. We're not doing real well at honoring your name and glorifying you. We, not they, we. And kind of keep it that way and step out in faith. And here's what I know. If we all would be a bunch of Nehemiahs, then a radical transformation would take place. And who knows, the coronavirus might even stop. I had to throw that in there. So. Saints, let's do this. Let's be Nehemiah. Read the rest of Nehemiah before you go to bed, before you go to sleep tonight. Man, and you're gonna go, yes, I wanna do that. It's only like a few chapters. Just start reading. Let's stand up and pray. Father, we look at this book and we look at this man and we read these things. And Lord, again, I think it's, I think it's easy for us to kind of relegate this into, well, Nehemiah was some special person. And yet, God, I know that in your eyes, we're all special. We might relegate it to well, Nehemiah had this advantage or that advantage. And as I read my Bible, he was no different than the rest of us. He was just a man doing life, walking through this world the best he could and took either advantage or looked at situations and had such a closeness with you that he could react as you would react. And God, I thank you. We sing songs like that tonight. We said those words and we want your heart that we want to understand those around us. And God, I pray that they weren't just words that we were singing to lyrics to a song, but they were cries from our heart. And I pray that as we think about this guy here that we read tonight and this short prayer, that we would understand the God that he's crying out to is the same exact God that we serve and that we know. And Lord, I know because I've read the rest, I know some great things are gonna happen. You're gonna take this man and you're gonna use him in such a magnificent way in the lives of the people of Israel and to get that wall built that everyone else had given up on. And Lord, I know that for him it had to be a task that was overwhelming. And yet he was willing to be faithful and put one foot in front of the other and trust you day by day and that's all you're asking of us. So here we are, God. Use us in our generation. Use us to influence lives around us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.